I'm going to talk about finances. And my talk is called Be Rich. Now, if you are not rich or you don't feel rich, that's okay. Uh, because one day, I hope you are very rich. Look at me. I hope you are rich. I hope you are rich, and I hope you have a lot of money. And when you become rich, I want you to be a good rich person. I want you to be good at it because there's so many people who are not good at being rich. And the idea of being rich comes from something Paul the Apostle said to Timothy. He talks about what rich people should do. He gives them some advice. And, this, and I'm going to reread what Juliana read. And it says this. It says, command those who are rich in this present world. So he's talking to rich people. right? If you're rich in this present world, uh, not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds to be generous and willing to share. Rich people are commanded to be rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share. Now, this is the point where everyone goes, phew, I'm not rich, therefore this section doesn't apply to me. I just need to skip to the next section. He only, he's only talking to rich people. Well, the sometimes difficult and hard truth to believe is that you and I, we are all richer than we think that we are. The truth is, is that we are richer than we think we are. And it's sometimes difficult. We think we're not rich because we don't feel rich. We think we're not rich, but the fact is we, 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 we don't feel rich. And the reason we don't feel rich? Well, it's for a number of reasons. First, some of us have no margin. No margin means no peace. If you live on 100% of your income, you feel the press. If you live on 120% of your income, you feel the press. So you can't really feel at peace and you don't feel rich if you're spending more or you're living on more than you make. The second reason we often don't feel rich and we don't, or we don't recognize we're rich is because we know what everybody else has. We know what everyone else drives. We know what kind of houses they have. We know how they spend money. We know these things about them. The other day, um, Marin and I went to go get Starbucks. She really likes Starbucks after she goes to Mathnasium. Um, those are all very interesting things, right? So, so Mathnasium is like, learn math, learn. It's better than Kumon, right? I like, I like Mathnasium more than, it's the same thing. It's after school tutoring. Kumon, where, as we say in our house, come on, read, kid. So we don't send her to come on. We send her to Mathnasium. And so we go to Mathnasium. She's like, can we go to Starbucks afterwards? I'm like, I'm a good dad, obviously. So we take her to Starbucks. And, and for some reason, we get, let's go drive past this house. So uh, that's for sale. And it's over on Santanala, but it's on the uh, Santa Monica side. And so we drove past it. I'm like, see, check it out. And she's like, how much is it? I'm like, $7.8 million. And she's like, ah. Oh. She goes, well, could you guys work a little harder? <laughs> and then, uh, it, it, we know what everyone else has. We know what everyone else does. Or even we perceive that, why can't I be like that? And then we're commenting, well, uh, so-and-so's parents, they have got a big house. I'm like, yeah, but he is like a once-in-a-generation CEO who happens to live down the street from us, and they're making an example of their child by sending them to public school. Okay, so it's not a fair, you know, we are, we start the public school, you know. So we, we, we see all that. Um, and here's the reality. You won't feel this. Uh, and there's no way to make you feel this. And in fact, it's not even really important that you do feel this. 
But this is the reality. This is the starting point. This is the fact that every one of us needs to wrestle with as we're thinking about what we have, what we will have, more importantly, what we will do with what we have. By international standards, according to a statistic from the World Bank, if you have a household income of $50,000, you are in the 1% club. Oh no, why isn't everyone cheering? <laughs> you're not cheering that you're in the 1% club. Nobody ever cheers for that. And then you don't look at your neighbor like, yes, we're in the 1% club. Why? Because you don't feel it. You don't feel it. And the implications of this are pretty simple. The goal of what I'm saying isn't to make you feel guilty. The goal of what I'm trying to say is to make you feel responsible. There are millions of people around the world today who think that you and I are filthy rich. How rich? Because we keep extra money in our cigarette thing in our car, if you still have one of those. Thank you, Patrick. Now, there, during the time of, the, uh, of Paul, the apostle, when he's writing to Timothy, um, there was an assumption among first century people that around the world and in the Jewish community, community that the more money you had, the, more, the richer you were, that meant the more God loved you. God favored you. Rich people were favored by God. Poor people, eh, not so much. Sick people, eh, not so much. People thought that rich people were more favored by God. But what we see is that when Jesus came to earth, he flipped the script. He set the record straight. He, we learn from Jesus that rich people aren't more loved. Rich people are more, have to be more responsible, are more responsible. Rich people are more accountable. Rich people are actually uh, invited to do more, to give more, to love more, because they have been given more opportunity. So Paul says this, he says, Command those who are rich in this present world, do not be arrogant, uh, nor put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And this was a shocker when he says this, because he's saying rich people, whether you're rich contextually or you're rich by the 1% standard I just gave, rich people, your future is not as certain and it's not as secure as you think it is. And we're thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait. I mean, rich people have the most secure future. Rich people never worry about money, do they? Right? But Paul was smart. Paul figured out that the more you have, the more you tend to worry. Because rich people tend to take the, make the terrible mistake, the mistake most of us make. And in fact, if you've made this mistake, it might actually mean that you are rich. Rich people have a, the tendency to put their trust in their wealth rather than in the one who richly provided it for them. And this is something that poor people never do. Why don't poor people put their money or put their hope in their wealth? Because they don't have any. But as soon as you begin to accumulate, as soon as I begin to accumulate, as soon as we begin to gather, our trust migrates from our Heavenly Father onto the stuff that our Heavenly Father has given to us. And it's as if no matter how much we bring in, no matter how much piles up, it's never enough. There's a feeling that's going on there because there's an endless number of what ifs. What if I lose my job? What if the stock market goes down? What if somebody gets sick? What if I get in an accident? What if my spouse leaves me? And consequently, what happens is our trust migrates from our Heavenly Father onto what we should do with our stuff or what we're able to do with our stuff. 
Now, if that migration naturally happens, and the statistics prove this, the more we get, the more we have, the quicker our hands close around it. And Paul, in these verses, is reminding us that it's not how much comes in, it's how much stacks up. Especially in the United States. The more money a person makes, the less they give away. Did you know that? The more money people give, the less they give away. They're less generous. How so, Chris? Rich people are giving away millions of dollars all the time. Well, hear me out. The truth is, and all charitable donation statistics support this, rich people give larger sums, but they give smaller percentages. Now, does this matter? I guess it depends on who you ask. Some people might say, well, at least they're giving something. At least they're giving something. That's true, but do percentages matter? Again, I tell you, it depends on who you ask. Well, let me ask it a different way. Do percentages matter to Jesus? And that we can answer very clearly. The answer is yes. God is not moved by how many zeros get tacked on to our gifts. And I can prove it to you. Would you like me to prove it to you? <laughs> You're like, no. Right. I'm going to prove it to you right now. There's a story from the life of Jesus. And this directly connects with what Paul is saying about be rich. Okay? Directly connects. Uh, and, uh, so in the first century, at the temple in Jerusalem. So imagine, it's ancient Israel. They're at the temple in Jerusalem. It's a bunch of Jewish people. Jesus is there. And when you go to temple... There's no online recurring giving, and there's no text-to-give option because electricity. And there's no passing of the basket, okay? And at the temple, if you wanted to give money, there was this treasury box on the way in or way out. It was a high-traffic area. What do you know? Even back in the day, the priests put the money box in the high-traffic area, okay? So you would walk up, and you would put your money in the treasury box. You'd give your gift into some sort of container. I'm sure it was made of metal, Okay. Now, one afternoon, Jesus and the gang, they're hanging outside the treasury for some reason. We don't know why, but they're just sitting there, hanging out, leaning against, I don't know, whatever they had, tables that weren't flipped yet. They're watching people go in and out. And Jesus sees something, and he draws his disciples' attention to it, and he makes a statement that has huge implications for us, okay? So in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 41, it says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury, many rich people threw in large sums or amounts. Okay, pause. Jesus is just sitting there. We don't know why. Jesus and the gang, they're hanging out and they're watching people put in their money. And what we see is the people that are throwing in their money are putting in their money in such a way so that other people can tell that they're giving lots of money. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted to be perceived as being generous. But look at verse 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Okay. Now, if you were to look at the Greek text here, you would see that the writer used the smallest currency known in Palestine at that time. It was so small, there wasn't even a Roman or a Greek equivalent to it. Uh, it was almost unmeasurable. And she took these two small copper coins and she put them in the treasure box. It's the equivalent of one one twenty-eighth of a denarius. Denarius was a type of coin back in there, which is she gave about six minutes of work time. 
Six minutes of work time. That's what you need to know. And what Jesus says after this is so extraordinary. Here's how Jesus viewed wealth. Verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. She was richer towards God than the others. Yeah, but Jesus, what about the guy that gave $10,000? What about the woman that gave away all the Apple stock at the end of the year to, uh, I, I know there was tax benefits to that, but she gave away the stock. Jesus, how could that be more? And Jesus says, I am not moved by zeros at the end of your giving. I am moved by percentages. And Jesus draws the disciples' attention and says that the kingdom of heaven, it's about percentage giving. It's not about the number of dollars given. And so Jesus closes this way. Verse 44. He's, this is him talking. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. So here's what Jesus is teaching. Here's what the Apostle Paul is leveraging. And here's what each of us need to understand. If you hope to be rich, and by God, I hope you get very rich. I do. I want you to have a lot of money. And if you find, or if you find yourself in the Global 1% Club, or if you're rich and you're unwilling to admit that you're rich, here's what we can conclude. Rich people should give larger sums and higher percentages. Higher sums and larger percentages. This is Paul's point. This is what Paul's referencing when he references Jesus. They're both saying, we want you to be rich in love and good deeds and also with your money. Not just average generous. We want you to be above average generous. And here's the thing. Most of us don't think in terms of percentages. The only time we generally think in percentages is when, it's, when it comes time to pay our taxes. How many of you use TurboTax? or have a private accountant, or somebody. No one's going to raise their hand for that. I might not even ask. Okay, and this, what this story reminds us is that you and I need to think about percentages in every arena of our life. And here's what I know about you. I know this about you. You are living on a percentage of your income. And you may not know what it is, but you are. Maybe you never thought about it. And, uh, you know, we cover this. Um, if you've ever been through our premarital counseling here, we cover this. Uh, and I'll tell couples, pick a percentage that you want to live on of your income and stick to it. Don't worry about a budget. Just live on that. And if you're going to live on a percentage, pick the percentage that's uh, not over 100. Pick a percentage of it, okay? Pick a percentage and stick to it. And if you do this, one day you will call me. And I don't know if we'll have phones in the future. Uh, maybe we'll just think of a person. and You will think of me. You will call me. You will reach out to me. And you will, and you will present yourself. You say, ah, I am so grateful that you told me this. Why? Because when you have financial margin, when you live on a margin of your income, you have financial peace. Okay? Margin in your money leads to peace in your heart. You will start to feel rich. Now, you may not be literally rich, but you'll feel rich. 
But if you live on 100% of your income, 110, 130%, 200% of your income, what will you feel? You will feel pressure. You will feel pressure. You need to know what percentage of your income that you live on, what percentage of your income that you save, and the percentage of your income that you give away. Because Jesus, we see that Jesus evaluates more or less based on our ratio of income to giving, to saving, and to spending. And the truth is, and this is the reality for all of us, and we don't always think in these terms, uh, but it seems to be true. Now let me ask you a personal question. Have you ever thought about the percentage of your income that you live on? Now let me ask you, let me, let me tell you something else. Here's what we know about American charitable giving. Americans generally don't decide on what percentage that they want to give away. What generally happens is it is spontaneous, sporadic, emotional giving. We know this from all statistics and all studies. Uh, and people just generally give. Uh, they go to a function, they go to a charity, they go to a table, and they sit and the kid, they bring the kids out and they're crying and all. And you give them, you know, all right, we'll write a check this time. And then we're on recurring, and then after three months you cancel the recurring giving. Whatever you do, you go to an auction, you pass the bucket, you do all the things. And at the end of the year, most Americans, what we discover is they, they discover that they gave money to charity. They're like, huh, I had no idea. And then they add all those things up, and then they deduct it from their taxes. Uh, and and, and th what they also discover is that they're not taking into consideration the percentage that they're giving. Again, wh what we see here is that God's not moved by dollars. He's moved by percentage. And the deal is, the deal is this. The deal, the deal is this. Um, if you don't pick a percentage, if you don't think in percentages, you're just going to give leftovers. And what I'm trying to uh, communicate to myself and to you guys is we shouldn't justify this. We shouldn't be impressed by the number of dollars that we give. And we shouldn't believe the untruth that Jesus clearly points out. The untruth that is, I gave more, therefore I'm generous. Because for Jesus, we see that it's about percentages. So I'm going to give you something to think about for your finances. And you think about all the charitable donations or charitable organizations that you want to give to. It's something for you to think about. There's a way to think about percentages that can help you. And it's this. Pre-decide. Pre-decide. This is key. This is key with new couples. Pre-decide what you're going to live on, what you're going to save, and what you're going to give away. Don't get caught up in the pressure. Pre-decide. No matter what you have or don't have, if you want to be prepared... Uh, when you're going into marriage, uh, to think responsibly about money, to manage more money. If you want to be good at being rich later, you have to practice this now. If you ever want financial margin in your budget, you have to think about this now. You have to pre-decide. And here's what I suggest. Pre-decide on a percentage of your income that you're going to give away. Okay, And you give it away first. And what that does is that it starts to prioritize something in your life other than yourself. And when I give, it prioritizes something in my life other than myself. And that way we don't give leftovers. That way we don't feel generous, even though we actually haven't been technically generous. So think about the organizations in your mind right now. Think about the organizations that you want to give to. Pick them. Pick your percentage that you want to give and write those checks. I would also uh, recommend, suggest that you pick a percentage 
of time that you want to give to serve those organizations. And if you do, when you give away your time, these organizations are going to capture your heart. Uh, and that will be meaningful because it won't be as spontaneous as if when you give leftovers. You have to pre-decide. Here's the deal. Charitable organizations, including even in this church, are blessed because people, key people, have pre-decided that it was good to give and to be generous. And it was their pre-decision that makes certain work possible. So before I close, I just want to talk about this. The big question, when you pre-decide, the big question, what do you think it is? How much? How much am I supposed to give? Well, let me put it back to you this way. The medium household income in Los Angeles is roughly $65,000. That's not average. That's just the median. Okay? And what we know that the median household income group of people in the United States give is about 6% to charity annually. Okay? All right? And now this is important. They don't give 6% on purpose. They give 6% uh, on accident. They didn't decide to give 6% away. They discover at tax time that they gave away about 6% here or there to this event or that thing or this charity or that charity. So here's what I would suggest. If you're not a percentage giver, why not plug in the median instead of discovering at the end of the year that you're going to give uh, 6%? Why not do that? Pick the organizations. You say you sit down and you say, hey, as a family, we're going to pick the organizations that we're going to give to now, um, now I think, um, I think that you should get to 10% as fast as humanly possible, as fast as you can. And it's easy for me to say because basically I came out of the womb giving 10%. For every 10 dimes, I was giving away one back to church. It's in my blood. Tithing, which is 10% of our income, has been easy for me because I have never not tithed, okay? But as I grew older and as our income grew, it became easier to, be, get, to give and to be generous because we had always done it. It had always been built into our margin. So, but I understand some of you might not be here, but if you haven't decided, if you haven't pre-decided, I would encourage you to start at 6%. And as I stated, across the country, as people's income goes up, their dollar amount may go up, but their percentages do not because they get enamored with the number of dollars. And this is why this is important. For some of us, to give away $5,000 is an incredibly large amount of money. And for some of us, to give away $5,000 should be embarrassing. It should be embarrassing. Why? Because as followers of Jesus, it's about percentages. Listen, Paul instructs Timothy to command the local church to be rich and to be generous. And this is the best way for us to prepare to be rich. And here's why this is important. Can you imagine if Christians across the country and Christians in this room, they would say, hey, I'm going to pre-decide to be generous. Here's what would happen. When you begin to give at first, and you begin to focus on giving, there's a trickle-down effect. You begin to save better. Uh, you begin to spend less. And then you really begin to discover what a demon debt is to you and me. Because you realize that debt is the thing that's keeping you from putting your money where your heart is. 
And suddenly, when we prioritize giving, we prioritize margin living, we begin to live more responsibly in almost every area of our life. Our finances, the financial questions that we actually need to wrestle with start to surface, and we begin to reorder our financial world. And sometimes people ask uh, me, or sometimes they talk about, Chris, is it, uh, should I wait until I'm out of debt before I start giving, before I start being generous? I say, I say no. I say no, because giving redirects your heart, and when your heart is right, everything you do is going to financially change. But I'll tell you something even better than that. Um, in our nation, the face and the reputation of Christianity would change if we were to choose to be rich in this way. We would no longer be known for what we're against. We might not even be known for what we believe. We would be known for our extraordinary love for other people through our generosity. And when we read the stories of Jesus, when we read the examples in the New Testament, we cannot walk away thinking anything other than, hmm, I think that's what Jesus intended Christians' reputation to be. Jesus once said, you will know, Jesus once said, they will know you are my disciples by what we believe? No. They will know you are my disciples by how you behave? No. Will they know you are my disciples by what you're against? No. They will know you are my disciples by how well you love. And for those of us who have been generous... I want to let you know that your serving and your giving is not in, in vain. It is a thing. It is the thing that has more potential to change a family, a church, a city, and a world. It has more potential to change anything else than anybody does because generosity, it's extraordinarily powerful. So if you're doing this, do your part. If you're doing your part to make a big difference in big numbers, that's great. But I'm encouraging you, be rich, do more, give more, pre-decide, and watch what happens to your heart. And we'll see what happens. God might just do something extraordinary. Sound good? All right, why don't we all stand?